Amen. Good morning. Luke chapter 4. So it will be this morning. Luke chapter 4. Hometown hero. Luke chapter 4. As you turn there, thank you, sir. Man, wasn't that awesome? Singing to the Lord. I went Baptocostal over here on the front row. Jesus returns. Luke chapter 14, verse 14. He returns because he had been in the desert. You remember that. And who was he taking on in the desert? That's right. And who led him there? The Holy Spirit led him there. So now he returns to Nazareth. And let's pick up in verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 and 15, and then we'll come back and get the rest of it later. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let's pray. Father... Lord, this is your day. This is your earth. God, we are your people. Father, we pray right now, God, that you would remove every distraction. God, that you would plug our hearts into what you're doing in Hancock County and around the world. Lord, you are an awesome God that has pursued us, Lord, and and you pursued, pursued us and saved us by your grace. But Lord, we thank you that you daily pursue us. Lord, you're not finished. God, you promised that you're going to finish what you started inside of us. So God, we pray that the spirit of freedom, the spirit of liberty would reign in this place. God, we pray this in the most majestic, holy, powerful name on earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First, you see that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. He is fully equipped to take on anything that the enemy can throw at him. Jesus is not your average hometown hero. He has more powers than Superman. In fact, you can take all of the superpowers of every American uh, Marvel hero or whatever comic book you read growing up, and you add all of those superpowers together, and the Lord, that's just like 1%, not even that, point zero 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 one percent of all of His powers. And so in verse 14, He returns. He comes in the full power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. Now Galilee was a a lake, right? The lake of Gennesaret. A large, very large lake. Very deep, full of life. Josephus, a Jewish scholar, tells there were 20-something cities with over 8,000 people scattered along the edge of this, this lake. Full of Life, And that's where the Lord set up His ministry headquarters. It says the report about Him went throughout all the surrounding country. What does that mean? It means that the word started getting out about this man who could do anything. And then He comes to 
his stomping grounds. He comes to Nazareth where he grew up. And let's read verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. It was his custom to worship the Lord on Sunday. I was in Walmart earlier this morning. And it's fascinating when people see you in a sport coat on a Sunday morning, how many people just run from you because they think you're a preacher. But the Lord loves all the people at Walmart right now just as much as us. He loves all the people that's going to the beach this morning or going fishing. Now they might not know it like they should, But it's funny, you hear people talk about, well, I can worship the Lord at home, or I can worship the Lord out on the golf course, or I can worship the Lord out on the fishing boat. Yes, you can, right? You can. You can glorify the Lord through a lot of things. But I wonder how many people got up going golfing this morning and thought, I'm going to go worship the Lord on the golf course. Probably not many. How many people out fishing this morning? Now, they may have. We don't need to be legalistic about it. I mean, if you go on vacation, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying the Lord's creation, even on the Lord's day. But I wouldn't do it every week. Certainly not. A lot of people wonder why they're not catching many fish on Sundays. Because probably the Lord stifling that. You see, He comes to Capernaum. Uh, I mean, sorry, He comes to Nazareth. And He, the man side of Jesus, He knew everybody. Right? He was a son of a carpenter. He, he knew people. He saw people... Uh, in the marketplace, and and uh, he saw the he met people uh, growing up. He knew people in that town in Nazareth, and Nazareth was just kind of a city on the backside of nowhere. It wasn't really the the popular place to be from. But word spread about him, and they were so proud. I mean, they were proud of their hometown hero. They were proud that Jesus. I mean, Joseph and Mary's son. He can do all these miracles, and he's. I mean, he's from Nazareth. People were seeing on the news, Nazareth. They said, we've never been on the news before. And so, word was getting, getting out about this man named Jesus. And he had been in Capernaum. And uh, he... They didn't like that. Now, why didn't they like that? Because there were some people in Capernaum who were not Jews. And he was doing all these miracles for them, and now they thought, well, he should come do miracles for us. I mean, after all, we're the ones that changed his diaper in the nursery. We're the ones that spent time with him. Maybe they even took a little bit of credit for this man named Jesus. And so he goes to worship on the Lord's Day. And look at verse 17. We're going to read for a while all the way to verse 30. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel. In the time of the prophet Elisha, none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. Passing through their midst, he walked. He went away. He went away. Jesus is rejected. Now, the man's side of Jesus, he knew many people. He knew their faces. He knew their accent. He knew uh, maybe what flavor of rice they liked. But the God side of Jesus, he knew a lot more than that. He knew their hearts. He knew their deepest, darkest secrets. Their secret motives. He knew their standing with God. You see, they tried to put Jesus in a box. I wonder how many times in our lives we try to put the Lord in a box. Many people in our culture want a Jesus that they can put in their pocket. Just put Him in the pocket and carry Him around everywhere they go. If they have a problem, they can pull Him out. Lord, I have a problem. And the Lord may fix their problem or not. Put the Jesus back in their pocket go on their day. Friend, that's not biblical Christianity. That's serving a false Jesus that you don't even that you created in your head. And that's what most Americans are doing, by the way. They created this facade, a religion of their own, that pleases their pursuits and their life and their pleasures. But the Lord, He knew their hearts, and He basically incites a riot on purpose. Why? To prove their wickedness, to prove their hearts. You know, sometimes the Lord God Almighty, He will expose our hearts when He gets ready to. When He wants to. You know, people are skeptical of those who claim to know everything. And many of the people in the synagogue in Nazareth, they claim to be professional uh, believers in God. And look what Scripture says. Jesus reads, maybe he was the guest rabbi and they thought, well, Jesus is here. We've heard all these things. Let's see what he's got. And the the Bible says he found the place where it was written and they rolled out a scroll of Isaiah. We know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that you could fit the entire book of Isaiah on a scroll. So he unrolled it. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's quoting from Isaiah. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus, He worshipped at the synagogue. He read the Word and expounded the text. And when He says He came to fulfill the Scripture, that's what He was doing. You see, He quotes Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. 
And when he gets to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, there's a comma. And then he stopped. And he rolled up the scroll, and he sat down. You don't do this. You complete the sentence. If you're reading God's holy word, Jesus was God and knew whatever He wanted to. And so He got to the comma, and He closed up the scroll. Why? He was showing them that He was there to fulfill Scripture in the moment. He was fulfilling prophecy. You see, after that comma, Isaiah 61, verse 2, it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. But He didn't read the rest of it. Why? Because the first part of that sentence was about the Lord's first coming. And the second part of the sentence, in the day of vengeance of our God, that's about the second coming. Today, 2018, we are living in that comma. We are in that comma. Christ has come. He set us free. It is finished. He has won the victory. But yet, we're still in the end times. We're still in the times when Satan and his minions still have a little bit of power and they're still trying to disrupt. Now they're defeated. We give them a lot more credit and attention than they deserve. But he's coming back. And He's going to make all things right. There's going to be a day of vengeance. There's going to be a time where there's no more school shootings. There's no more pain. There's no more injustice. Next we see that the Nazarenes rejected Jesus as the Messiah. You see, after He rolled up the scroll, He sat down and all the eyes of, in the synagogue, they were fixed on Him. It's a quiet moment. Can you imagine? And he began to say that to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of Him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from His mouth. So, so far so good. They like what He's saying. These are good words. This is great. This is our hometown God. And then He gets personal. You see, He knew their hearts, just like He knows everybody's heart this morning. And He tells a story that's really kind of out of the, out of the blue. You see, He exposed their ethnocentrism, the belief in the inherent superiority of one's own ethnic group, ethnic group or culture. It basically says, you like this Messiah that you have created in your head that's coming to set the Jews, Jewish people free. But I'm going to show you another Messiah. I'm going to show you the true Messiah. And so out of the blue, he brings up this story from 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 25, about God passing over all the ethnic Jews to bring a miraculous blessing to a foreign Gentile from the land of Sidon. By the way, if you are not a Jewish person this morning, you would fall in the Gentile category. It's a good thing that the Lord cares about all ethnic groups. There were many widows in Israel, but God blessed a foreigner. And then He brings up another story, kind of out of the nowhere. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 27. Again, the point is, all the people that God might have chosen the hill of leprosy, He chose a foreign king, a Syrian, not a Jew. 
This made them angry. They were upset. They were mad. And basically drove him out of town. You see, when God's people reject God's prophet, He will send them elsewhere, even to the Gentiles. And that's what happened. That is what is happening here. He gave these people an opportunity to worship Him, to receive Him as the Messiah, and they rejected Him. I almost wonder if He was upset already. You see, the Lord, He had sent many prophets to Israel throughout the years. And many of them were rejected. Now why were they rejected? Because they brought the truth. They brought confrontation. He called the, These prophets would call people out for their sin. They were God's mouthpiece to a nation. You see, the Lord saw when Isaiah was sawn in half with the wooden saw. The Lord saw when Amos, prophet Amos was tortured and slain. The Lord saw when Habakkuk was stoned to death by the Jews in Jerusalem. The Lord saw when Jeremiah, he was also stoned to death in Egypt. Ezekiel was cut down by sword by the chief of the Jews in the land of the Chaldeans. Why? Because the flesh, our flesh, is opposed to the Lord. Our flesh does what it wants to do. 1 Peter chapter 4 says that our flesh does what it wants to do. It's living in sensuality, passions, and drunkenness, and orgies, and drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter said, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. That though, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they may live they might live in the way that the Spirit wants them to live. Jesus was the unexpected hometown hero. This Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, He touches a leper. Lepers were the most despised people in Jewish culture. The most ostracized. And Jesus healed him. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 8 if you have a Bible. If you don't, that's cool. I've got a copy of it. Matthew chapter 8. We'll just look quickly. Matthew chapter 8. If you go back a few books. The first four verses in chapter 8 is about that leper. Then verse 5. Look at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. No one in Israel? No one in Israel? Except for a centurion? The second most despised person in the entire culture? Jesus was putting an end to the Jewish sense of ethnocentrism. He was putting a stop to their 
pride that they thought, they thought just because they were Jewish, they were better than everyone else. John Piper says, Jesus is saying that with His coming, a radically new way of defining the people of God is here, namely, faith in Him. Faith in Jesus trumps ethnicity. Jesus Christ provokes men and women. Now, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, you see that Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues. Look at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So He proclaims good news to the poor. What's that mean? Not just to those economically poor, but to those who are humble in their hope towards the Lord. This morning, if you're poor, or if you're humble in your hope to the Lord, Jesus can rescue you. Next, He says, I come to proclaim liberty to the captives. He said, I come to bring forgiveness, pardon for the prisoners. This morning, if you're bound up, if you're captive, if you have chains on your life, Jesus has come to set you free. Next, He said, I come to recover the sight of the blind. And He did many times physically. He healed people time and time again. He came to recover the sight of the blind physically, but also spiritually. I once was blind, but now I see. Next, Jesus says, I come to set free those who are oppressed. Those who have been harassed by the enemy. Those who have been possessed and oppressed by the world. By the spirit of darkness. This morning, there's power in the name of Jesus. And you see in the house, He wants to break every chain on your life. And then lastly, He says, I've come to proclaim the year of Jubilee. You may have heard that in an old gospel song. He had come to announce that God's kingdom had come in the form of Jesus. He was there to rescue. The hero had arrived. He came to fulfill Old Testament prophecy down to the T. Salvation had come to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. The Messiah was here. And then at the end of chapter 4, uh, Chapter 4, verse 29 says, They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Now if you go to Jerusalem today, there's a cliff. There's really one big cliff. Uh, not Jerusalem, in Nazareth. You can, you can go there to where Jesus was driven to that cliff. It's been there over 2,000 years. Some scholars say that Jesus kind of just went off down the side of the cliff, just kind of floated away. Remember, He has superpowers. He can do whatever He wants. Some people say that maybe it was like He caused confusion for those chariots in the book of Exodus, the Egyptian soldiers. Everyone just became confused. Some believe that He struck all of the people blind like He's done before. Angels have done that in the Bible. And so people just, they were about to kill Him and all of a sudden they were confused or they were struck blind and Jesus just kind of walked through them. Some people say He just walked through them physically. 
Superman can't walk through walls, I don't think, but Jesus could. Nevertheless, he had all power over all people. So what's this have to do with you and I? I'd like to share a story of the free man, the searching man, and the running man. Some time ago, I was had the privilege to ride a megabus. Anybody ever ridden a megabus in here? Oh my goodness, you haven't lived until you've read, ridden a megabus. A megabus is a double-decker bus that goes from many of U.S. large cities to another. And I was riding the megabus from Dallas to Memphis because I got stuck in Dallas. I needed a cheap way to get home, and so I found a $25 tick, megabus ticket and rode the bus. The bus left at 10 o'clock, and it got in Memphis at 7 o'clock. Now, this is throughout the night. And so I get on the bus and strike up a conversation with this lady uh, who is on fire for the Lord, sitting right in front of me. And because we were talking about the Lord, I had a gentleman by the name of Marvell, about 6'5", looked like an Alabama linebacker. He began to ask me questions. He said, you know, I was riding in a taxi the other day and I heard a gospel song talking about seed sown in good soil and bad soil. Can you explain to me what that means? I said, well, certainly, I sure can. So I, I sat, went and sat right next to him and just walked him through the gospel. It took about 30 minutes. I said, Marvell, God put you on this bus to hear this good news. And tonight... Should it be 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock? If you want some help to receive Christ. I said, now you need to think about this. This is the most important decision in your life. But if you want to receive the Lord, you just wake me up and I'd be glad to pray with you or help walk you through that. I said, I don't care if I'm snoring. Just wake me up. But I'm going to sleep right now. Because he, he wasn't ready yet. He, he was searching. And then came a gentleman... At the next bus stop, he came and sat right next to me. and struck, He struck up a conversation with the gentleman next to him. And the guy that sat next to me, his name was Damien. And he struck up a conversation with an, a gentleman probably in his early 50s. And the man who was in early, his early 50s, I overheard him say he had just got out of the Texas penitentiary. He'd been in there for 15 years and he's going to start a ministry. He found the Lord in prison. And so this guy starts talking about Jesus and sharing how he's going to go and do a ministry. Well, Damien, who was sitting next to me, he started discouraging him. He started trying to just blast him. So here's Damien sitting right next to me, and he begins to bring up many hot-button issues in our culture. and um, I think he was trying to pick a fight with me, honestly. And uh, he just was saying stuff, and he'd look over at me, and just a very bitter person, and, and he began to share all these problems with America. And I just kind of piped in after listening to that about 15 minutes. I said, I would respectfully disagree with that. The main problem in America is sin. And so then that struck up a conversation. He said, oh, uh, he came to find out that I was a pastor. He said, oh, I thought you might be a pastor, blah, blah, blah. And Damien began to share about how there's um, 
different galaxies and we can own them. And uh, he starts talking about asking what my birthday was. He was in all kind of weird new age stuff and he was working the stock market, yada, yada, yada. And uh, we began to kind of get in an argument. Not a, not a boisterous argument, but I just said, man, that's just heresy. You're believing a bunch of lies. And you know it. And he just get more agitated. And finally, he began to soften after about an hour. And then he just randomly said, you know, my grandma prays for me. And I said, I'm so mad at your grandma because it's because of your grandma that I had to get on a bus and ride it all night to Memphis. He laughed. And then he shows me a video on his phone of him singing a gospel song, and it was um, kind of like some hip-hop Christian music. And I began to listen to the lyrics. And they were solid, theological, rich lyrics. And he just kind of looked at me and smiled. And I said, Damien, have you ever heard of Lecrae, Christian artist? He said, yeah, I had the chance to sing in front of Lecrae one time. And I said, Damien, you've been playing me the whole time, brother. You know the truth, and you're running from it. And he just looked at me, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. He put his head back, and he closed his eyes, and he went to sleep, and he never woke up until he got to his bus stop. See, that guy was running from the Lord. And this morning, there are people in this house right now. You are either the free man, you are the searching man, or you are the running man. Which one are you? Jesus came to set us free, to give us life, liberty, hope, peace, forgiveness. Do you know this peace? If you're set free, the enemy wants to put those old chains back on your life. A study came out recently that says that 77% of Christian men view pornography every week. 77%. And we wonder why there's no power in the American church. Ladies, you're not far behind, the study shows. If you don't have any accountability in your life, then your flesh is going to do fleshly things. We all need it. And the answer is just not, God forgive me and just carry on. It's, we have to battle, we have to fight and claw because we love the Lord, because He set us free. And men... You have to fight for your family. It's more important than your job and your career. We need to pray a hedge of protection around our homes and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Protect our home from any influence of the uh, of sin and Satan. Kick it out in the name of Jesus. 
Jesus rescues. Do you believe that this morning? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you this morning, friend, I want to invite you to come walk down this aisle and just surrender your heart and life to the Lord Jesus. Just come just as you are. Don't try to clean yourself up. You'll never get there. You come to Him, and He'll start the process of cleaning you up. If you'd like to pray in your your chair, you're welcome to do that. You respond to this text as the Lord leads. If you're a believer in the house and you know you've been struggling with some sin, friend, the Lord, He's not yelling at you. He just wants to clean you up. He wants to forgive you. First John 1 9, if you confess our sin, He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you, purify you from all unrighteousness. You say, well, that's too good to be true. You don't know me, preacher. You don't know how all the stuff in my life. No, but I know what the blood of Jesus has done in my own life. Christ's blood was so royal, so pure, that it covers, all, covers it all. And you might not believe that, but whether you believe it or not, it's true. So you respond. The Lord is here. He, he is wanting to do business with you. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. The ball's in your court. How will you respond? Let's pray.